Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the New York Yankees, finally winning a legitimate AL East series, two games to one. Probably should have been a sweep, but what the hell? It's a win, finally. On August 14th, we finally win our first legitimate one. The Red Sox, however, are still in last place in the American League East, two games under 500 and four and a half games back from the uh, final wild card position. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, it only took until August uh, for the weekend crew to actually be in a good mood when we're recording uh, on a Sunday night. But yeah, um, pretty good weekend against the Yankees. Can't really uh, be too disappointed with the way that everything turned out. So, like I said, it's, you know, regardless of how you feel about the Red Sox season, it's always nice to make things a little bit more difficult for the Yankees. So, good weekend overall. Can't really complain. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? Hey, it was, uh, you know, like you mentioned, first time we got a legitimate series win. I wasn't going to be content if the only series that we won was this one out of one against Baltimore. So uh, for those that thought this was our second series win, this is our first legitimate series win. It did take, as Terry mentioned, until August 14th, and we ended it on a really, really high note, which I am most elated about. So great win. Happy to uh, see the finish result here. All three games... The winning team scored three runs. Red Sox win the first one three to two. They uh, lost the second game three to two. Win the finale three to nothing. So it was definitely uh, more of a, a pitching dominated series. And we're certainly going to get to some Red Sox pitching uh, when we get into the weekend top five here. But uh, very, very close. And at any point, one swing of the bat could have made it a different game. So, um, I didn't think I did have us, I did pick us to win twice. I wasn't supremely confident we would actually do it, but I had to just take each matchup individually. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of liked, uh, those particular matchups, but the Yankees are on a bit of a skid here, and they don't have Stanton. They're a little banged up. I don't know if their pitching is, is good enough. We saw Clay Holmes cough up uh, basically game one to us. Uh, so it's looking pretty precarious there for the Yankees. 
Yeah, they're starting to look vulnerable, um, which you always kind of expect that when a team goes on a first-half run like they do. I mean, they looked unstoppable in the first half. And, look, we've been following the Yankees, obviously, very closely for a number of years, and we all said it. It's like, okay, at what point is Stanton going to go on the I.L.? Or is Judge going to go on the I.L.? Or one of these guys who's overperforming, at what point are they going to slip back? And maybe that's happening now. Maybe the Yankees are in for a tough August, tough September. And, you know, they got off to such a great start, it may not matter. But, yeah, I, I, I think they're in a little bit of trouble. The Red Sox have an easy, well, it should be an easy series coming up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Three games in Pittsburgh. Then we go to Camden Yards for three games. Should be somewhat favorable. Then we finish off the month with the Blue Jays, Rays at home, and the Twins on the road. So we get really tough there at the end of the month. If you can get through those divisional games against the Blue Jays in Tampa, September isn't exactly brutal. You got the Rangers for four games at home. You got the Rays again. You got the Orioles. You got a weird two-game set against the Yankees. Then you got three three more games uh, against the Royals, two against Kansas City, and then you got the Yankees for four. And uh, and then you got the Orioles for four, and then we wrap up against the Blue Jays. Uh, I'm checking to see. Oh no, we don't actually. So you got you got three games against the Blue Jays, and then we wrap up against Tampa. Wow, the season ends on August fifth, uh, October fifth. That's yeah. Uh, feels like, that might be because of the uh, lockout, though. But. Um, you know, Terry, it's it's interesting that you mentioned you and Jason both touched up on it. Like they look deflated without some of their players in the month of August. They've they've played every single day except for what once. I think they had one day off. They're three and nine, if I'm not mistaken, including a really bad five game stretch. They lost eight of nine at one point. They just were not looking good. They have not won a series. They lost Seattle series two games to one. St. Louis swept. Seattle beat them two games out of three. We beat the Yankees two games out of three. They're looking very pedestrian right now. Seattle's always been a team I feel like that's always had the Red Sox number. And I'm starting to think that it's not just our number that they have, but Seattle, you know, it, it might be New York's too. And that could be a potential playoff matchup if the cards are aligned the right way. Nothing would make me happier than watching Seattle send New York down. Just go home packing because the Yankees were the top team in the American League. They have slipped out of the one seed and now they're in the two seed. Still destined for a playoff bye, but depending on how the playoff shakes up, they could find themselves playing Seattle. That would be devastating for them, especially since they've lost four out of their last six against them. Something to think about. The Red Sox don't have an easy schedule by any means, but... September's a little less brutal than July was, which we knew would be a tough month, even if it was better than it was. So in you're you're getting you've got Walker back. So he's going every five days from here out. Apparently Winkowski is going to be piggybacking off of Rich Hill. We'll talk about that uh, at the end of the show for the next preview. I kind of feel like it should be the other way around. But you've got you've got a lot of 
starting pitching options, I guess. And you got Kike coming back on Tuesday. I was just looking for some Trevor Story updates, but uh, nothing suggesting that as much as a rehab start is imminent. So going to be a little longer for him. But we're going to be looking a little bit more formidable here. So if we can get this magical run going for that last spot, we're going to need some of these teams to fall on their face a little bit. But... but fate is in our hands we got plenty of games left against the division and we're we're getting some pieces back so let's go ahead and we're going to do the weekend top five haven't done that in a long time that's the format we use when we have a series win so we're going to get into that we're going to start in the five slot work our way to the top so jason go ahead you have the five slot who yeah. Is it? yeah, in the five slot, I've got Cutter Crawford. Um, I've actually really liked Cutter Crawford a lot. He's He's been a young pitcher who has really impressed me. And this last start, it, it wasn't his cleanest. So he went six innings, only gave up two runs. He did walk four. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa just had his number. Had three hits against him that day, including a homer. So that kind of did him in a little bit. But again, he only gave up two runs. And... Through six innings against the Yankees, he kept you in it. I mean, again, just he he's kind of one of those pitchers that the pitch count was up there. It was close to 100, but he got through six, kept you in it, and he kept fighting. So does he have the best stuff? I don't think so. Um, his fastball does move a lot, and I think that helps him. So if he can really start to hone in on that and develop that pitch, it's he's going to be nasty. I have more faith in Cutter Crawford than I do Josh Minkowski. And I know Josh Minkowski is the higher regarded or higher praised prospect out of the two, but I have much more faith when Cutter Crawford's on the mound than I do when Josh Minkowski is. So if we're talking about the rotation 2023, you know, heading into next year, I kind of want Cutter Crawford to be part of it. I mean, at this point, why not? He's proven to you that he can fight through games and, and he can keep you in it even against elite competition, elite lineups. So I, I was impressed. You know, it's a shame that they couldn't pull it out for him, but he kept you in it through six innings. And if your offense is doing what it's supposed to be doing, which it's not right now, but if your offense is doing what it's supposed to be doing and everyone's firing on all cylinders and performing at their best, he wins that game. He, he, you know, he beats the Yankees. So what much more can you ask from a guy who's at the bottom of your rotation anyway? I just, I think he's done a really good job, um, you know, since being in the starting rotation. And I hope to see more of him next year because I think he's, he's got a lot in him. And I just hope that they don't look at him as like, oh, well, you're just going to be a swing man once we, you know, figure out the rotation. No, he, he should be a starter. He's proven that he should be. So it's a shame that he couldn't win the game, but he pitched really well. I was impressed. Yeah. Um, against the Yankees, this is usually a team that gives uh, most rookie pitchers or just pitchers in general fits. But this is his really like third time now against the Yankees, and he's really only had one really bad appearance. He did lose that game against Kansas City. 
But when you think about his last couple starts, six innings, two runs on two hits, really, really good. Four walks, that's a career worst. He's matched that. He's hit that once before. Uh, oh, excuse me, he had five. Uh, one before that. But he just seemed really, really in the zone. You're seeing a level of consistency from him that you want to see from the rest of your starting rotation. Six innings is a quality start. Six innings is what we usually don't get. Six innings is what he's given us in four of his last five appearances. So, um, or four out of his last six. I'm I'm not going to knock it. If you had given him a little bit more run support, you're winning this game. This is a time when the Yankees are not doing very well. He did fine in his last performance. Five innings, one run on four hits, struck out six. Did not get the win. The Red Sox ended up winning that game six to five in 10 innings. Another uh, game that he ended up pitching in was way back in April. Four hits, three strikeouts, two innings, picked up his first career win um, against the Yankees. That's awesome. You're really building on that. This is just a, a player that seems to click really, really well against the Yankees. I can't say anything bad about it. When you've been in the league for five minutes and you come out allowing two runs on two hits in six innings, you did your job. It's up to the rest of the team to pick up the pace and get some runs for you. Of the six innings that Crawford pitched, only the fourth and fifth had multiple base runners. Uh, the fourth inning, he gets out of that. Fifth inning, he gives up a leadoff walk to Andrew Benintendi. And then uh, a couple batters later, Isaiah kind of hits his uh, first home run of the season of all times. And uh, that's how the Yankees end up tying it up. Wasn't really a, a terrible start. And the, the thing I love about Cutter Crawford is he's not afraid of anything. He's fine. And against the Yankees, he seems to thrive and, we had a guy for a handful of years up until this season who who could beat the Yankees, and that was Eduardo Rodriguez. So maybe Crawford's the new Erod. Expectations aren't super high in other starts. Not not that we're overly pessimistic, but but he's a guy you can feel good about if if we have a Yankee series coming up. So he's fun to watch. I don't know what the future is, but I always have a ton of curiosity every time he takes the mound and I can't really compare him. Like if he evolves into a number three starting pitcher, which I, I think we could all agree would be at the highest uh, would be his ceiling. Who do you compare him to? He, he was drafted in the sixth round from Florida Gulf coast university, same uh, school as Chris sale. So we got somebody from that university pitching some innings from the Red Sox the Red Sox this year but but who do you who do you compare him to like who came up kind of out of obscurity I just I can't think of anyone but I'm not the greatest historian in baseball Charlie probably would be of anyone the player that he kind of reminded me of and not really not really to the point where it's like oh yeah this is a carbon copy of him the first person that came into my mind was someone who was like, oh, we're just going to give this rookie a chance. We'll just see what happens. Maybe he might have some flips on the radar. And this might be an unfair comparison. But the first name that came into my mind was Brian Johnson. Was someone who I think the Red Sox had hopes was really going to be really, really good. And unfortunately, there were moments where you're like, yes, he's had it. And then the following start, it's just not there. And then two, three starts later, it's there again. 
and then it's gone again. So that was a little bit frustrating. I think that he has the ability to be better than Brian Johnson if he's actually stretched out properly. I It could be a, a very unfair comparison because Brian Johnson would get lit up when we face the Yankees. Cutter Crawford's not doing that. But then he would do fine against some of the other opponents. And so there was, there was a little bit of good and bad. Um, I'll leave it there. Jason, I know you want to add something. Yeah, it's and again, it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison because these guys were very different pitchers who had different arm slots and uh, different abilities and everything. But he reminds me of sort of like a Justin Masterson, like same kind of thing. When he was a starter, he had those starts where it's like this guy looks like dynamite. And Masterson came up at a similar age in his mid twenties. He had different kind of stuff. His arm slot was completely different, but. He had just that interesting sort of vibe about him. Now he ended up being just a reliever, ended up, you know, later in his career, and then he didn't pitch that long, but he sort of has that same kind of vibe. Like a Justin Masterson, like if if he can just hone in on everything, he can be really good. Masterson never did, but maybe Cutter Crawford, because he doesn't have to deal with the funky arm slot, but he has a good cut fastball and he's got good movement on that pitch. Maybe he can craft it a little bit better. So I love that. I forgot I wasn't muted and I'm always muted. Like I'm always talking on mute. I literally started like snapping like, yes, I love the Justin Masterson comparison. I think that's absolutely brilliant. He started and ended his career in Boston. Didn't really find himself until he got to Cleveland where he then became good for a very short while. We're talking two maybe three years. I don't think he was ever listed as like a Cy Young contender or anything like that, but it was nice to see him finish. You know, the, uh, you know, he's a little bit older than you and me. Um, uh, just this kid from Jamaica. He was born in Jamaica. I remember hearing like, I think it was Jerry Remy was talking about it. Like what was really, but just a a fun comparison. I love that. I I think Justin Masterson is probably a more fair, and I think an honest comparison to Cutter Crawford. I like that better. I almost want to rescind my Brian Johnson comparison. I don't know why, but Justin Masterson makes the most sense. Absolutely, 100% agree. Great, great take. The, the only thing about Masterson is he was drafted in the in the second round. So at one point, he was kind of highly thought to be highly regarded but Masterson did have a couple of good years like Charlie said his best season was for Cleveland in 2013 he had 14 wins with a 345 ERA made 32 starts pitched 193 innings 2011 not bad either 321 ERA 34 starts 216 innings so he was a horse for a couple years but that funky arm slot, I think, uh, kind of did him in, much like Chris Sale. And I do remember making some comparisons between Sale and Masterson early on. You just wonder, I always wondered how that violent delivery of, of Chris Sale would work. But a couple of things with Justin Masterson, he's really funny. His interviews were always funny. When he was signed to the Red Sox the second time, this was going into 2015, kind of an ill-fated year, there was a lot of buzz that spring training on whether the Red Sox would trade for Cole Hamels. 
And it just so happened, you know, they wanted Blake Swihart. Like, that was going to be one of the key pieces to the deal. And it just so happened that Blake Swihart was catching Justin Masterson in a spring training game against the Phillies. And Masterson kept telling uh, Swihart that he was going to be traded to the Phillies by the end of the game, (laughs) just kind of razzing him a little bit. And then uh, he also told a story, Justin Masterson did, when he first moved to Cleveland, he had to call the cable company to have them (laughs) come out and uh, hook the cable up. And he answers the door when they get there, and they're like, "Uh, are your parents here? Because he he looks so young, and uh, so he's a funny guy, and I he's kind of disappeared into obscurity. I don't know that he really does have a social media presence, but he would be he would fit in at least great in the Nesson studio. Um, but yeah, so I didn't think we would have a, a Justin Masterson segment here, but. Uh, either way, we hope Cutter Crawford turns out better uh, than all of the guys we compared him to. I didn't think the Brian Johnson one was fair because he only topped out at like 89 miles an hour. Crawford's mid-90s. But anyway, uh, let's see. Charlie, go ahead. Who's in the four slot? Yeah, so for the four slot, we got Rafi Devers, who didn't really have a very impactful first couple of games. Just one for eight, had a double a walk. Uh, the most impressive thing about the series for him, no strikeouts against the Yankees. That's pretty good for him. But really, uh, this comes as no big surprise. His two-run homer, uh, I personally think, is what allowed Michael Waka to get one extra inning of pitching tonight, getting that two-for-four game on, two-run homer, and it was not a cheapie. Uh, bat flip and all, single, uh, did what he needed to do, I I think we need this now more than ever. Um, Rafael Devers has missed a couple of stints with some some slight back injuries and whatnot, so I'm hoping that he can stay healthy. It's always unfortunate when he's out of the lineup because we just can't afford to have that if we're trying to stay relevant. He was one of the, uh, the two guys that really had impactful hits in the third game. And uh, just because we're going to be talking about the second player, I don't want to talk too much about it. I'll have a little bit of a take in there as well. But um, I'm happy that Devers is back in the lineup. I'm starting to tell and notice that almost everybody's really good hitters are batting second now. It's not going to be a shock to see Aaron Judge batting two pretty soon. You saw you got Juan Soto batting second in San Diego. You got Rafael Devers batting second for the Red Sox judge is batting second. Now, is that going to stay like that? I don't know. I somehow think that Aaron judge is going to find himself batting third later on. Well, they'll be getting Stanton back though. Stanton will be back. I think it'll shift. Yeah. Well, I think that could reinforce him more for the two hole. And then Stanton comes in for protection. Maybe I could be wrong, but, but yeah, uh, Jason, go ahead. Thoughts on Devers. Yeah, I'm glad that he's healthy. Uh, I'm glad that his back doesn't hurt anymore from carrying this Red Sox lineup all season. <laughs> um, that's essentially, as far as I can tell, that's why he went on the IL or or why he missed a couple of games. But, um, yeah, it's good to see him back. And, look, this is what you need your best hitter to do, right? Even if he has a quiet series, just make an impact somehow. And that's what he did tonight. That two-run homer, like Charlie said, that that kind of opened the game up. It was only 3 nothing, but – 
the Yankees were looking kind of lifeless out there. So it really did allow the Red Sox to have a little bit more flexibility and just kind of relax a little bit. And that really helped. So, you know, look, you're going to need Devers down the stretch. I don't know what this team's going to do contention wise, but the offense is just so anemic right now that anything Rafi Devers can do, even if he has an over five game in the middle of the series, but he still provides an impact in an important game. You need that. So we'll take it. Just all I hope is that he stays healthy, just stay healthy, get your at bats, make an impact to what you can do because the rest of the way, I don't really trust his offense the way it's constructed. Go ahead. Charlie. Yeah. So yeah. One more thing, just like when you're looking at June, July, and now August in the month of June, you saw Devers go 292, 619 it was almost, almost hitting 300 was getting, you know, at one point, a homer, two RBIs and four straight games was really doing work. The following month hits 300 on the money. Five home runs, 10 RBIs. Before tonight's action was six for 44 with two homers, five RBIs hitting 136. Clearly things were not going well. The Red Sox, when he was in the lineup, were not winning games. And the games that we did win, three of those four before tonight were won by one run that he had played in. That's not going to get it done. So now he's up to eight for 48, a third home run. He's up to seven RBIs, batting average up to a whopping 167. We're still eons away from where he was last month. But the fact that he's in there, this is going to be, I think, spraying the good juju for the team. He's in the lineup. The Red Sox do well. And uh, one little thing today, they were talking about Rafael Devers. He said, you know, he loves to see fans wearing his jersey because he feels like a superhero. And that's kind of cool when you got a 25-year-old kid who's the leader in this on this team. And I want to be able to say for the next 8 to 10 years, you want to keep him happy. And if the fans are wearing his jersey and that makes him happy, this is nothing more than positive reinforcement to get this kid signed. I will leave it there. I'm just looking through the log right now. Let's see. I'm just about there. So he is... Looks like 6 for 11 in Yankees games for hitting home runs. So... Six out of 11. This dude just loves to stick it to the Yankees. He thrives on the rivalry, much like Aaron Judge has and even Stanton at times. And I I mean, who do you want in a big game? Like, he's one of the guys that's going to come through for you every time. And David Ortiz, I only heard ESPN talking about this, so I don't know where they got the quote, but apparently David Ortiz at some point says, I see so much of myself endeavors. It's almost like I never left. And I've been hammering on that comparison for a while. They're both lefties. They're both insanely clutch. I think it was on this weekend show at, at one point where I said, pull up the postseason numbers. They're almost identical. Both guys are off the charts. Devers just doesn't have that that signature clutch moment like like Poppy did like in 04 with the two walk-offs against the Yankees. But at 25 years old, those signature moments will come at some point. And David Ortiz certainly wasn't getting those at, at 25. I think he was 27, 28 years old before he even got here. So um, it's just insane how clutch he is and how much he just owns those big moments and one of my favorite parts about tonight's game in the finale 
he had just hit his home run and they're they're giving a shot of Heim Bloom in the owner's box, kind of where Dombrowski always used to sit. And Bloom was sitting on his phone and the uh, ESPN guys goes, yeah, he's probably reading tweets right now that say pay Devers. So he's getting chirped by the ESPN crew on not signing Devers. And Bloom, they never figured it out for sure, but he was seen on camera after that, like laughing. And then the crew started running with it or whatever. Like, is he listening right now? Do we think he's listening? And he was laughing more. So it seemed like Bloom probably knew what was being said by the, the crew, you know, in real time. So, um, I don't really have a ton to add, but just super clutch and, uh, Devers put the, the final game kind of out of reach for the Yankees. Three runs with kind of an anemic lineup they had tonight outside of, uh, let's see, Ben and Judge, maybe one more hitter. It was a, it was a pretty, pretty weak lineup, uh, you know, especially five through nine. So they didn't have DJ LeMahieu. They're still missing Stanton, like I said. So it was certainly a good night to capitalize on that. And uh, luckily we did. I've got the number three spot. Uh, that is going to be on this list. It's going to be Tommy Pham. Had a big uh, series. Game one, uh, he was only one for five, but that one hit happened to be the walk-off uh, in the 10th inning. Uh, he basically hit a um, you know a, a grounder to left, and that drove in Christian Arroyo. Red Sox take that one, uh, three to two. And then tonight in the finale, he was three for four, uh, got on base and was driven in by Xander Bogarts on uh, just kind of a fielder's choice, but was able to come home on the play. And then he also uh, singled earlier uh, later in the game and happened to be on base when Devers hit that home run. The dude's just been an absolute spark plug, uh, basically in the leadoff spot. And as I pointed out last show, the bar this season had been so low for leadoff guys. You're having guys like Jaron Duran, Rob Snyder, Jalen Davis even leading off. Just absolute filth, you know, in that leadoff spot. And uh, with Kike on the injured list, we go out, we get Tommy Pham, and he's hit at the top of the order his whole career for the most part. But, you know, I, I don't know if he fits the the historic Red Sox mold of a, of a top of the order guy, but he's certainly getting it done. He's viable and he's making the most of this opportunity and probably auditioning for a spot on the 2023 roster uh, with the Red Sox. So Jason. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? You brought in a veteran who is auditioning for his next contract, whether it's here in Boston or somewhere else. Um, Tommy Pham was, you know, stuck in the dregs of Cincinnati where, you know, that team's not going anywhere. So I'm sure he's at least happy to be on a team that's somewhat contending or at least has a sniff of the playoffs at the very least. Um, he's making the most of it. And you know what? The more Tommy Pham means less Jaron Duran. And I think I speak for all of Red Sox Nation when I say that is a good thing, um, particularly if Kike is going to come back this week. 
Then you got him back. You've got Tommy Pham there. Jaron Duran should not see any major league playing time whatsoever because it, to me, that's the biggest blessing of having Tommy Pham here is we don't have to deal with Jaron Duran anymore. Um, you know, getting rid of Jackie Bradley, it's going to cost him some money. That sucks, but I'm glad to see him gone too. So it's like, you know, at least with Pham, you get a guy who can get on base. He's a good hitter, pretty decent outfielder, at least when he's in a corner spot. Can't play center field, but if you stick him in a corner spot, he can deal there. Um, not a bad hitter, and he's done well out of that leadoff spot. Again, like you said, not a traditional leadoff hitter, but he's been doing the job. So I don't know if he'll be with this team next year. I My guess is that he'll he'll play somewhere else, but hey, He's playing for a contract. So if anything else, you're going to get the most motivated Tommy Pham, you know, these next two months that you could imagine. And with Kike potentially coming back, all of a sudden your outfield isn't a joke anymore. It's a little bit stronger. It's still not great. It's still not perfect, but it's a little bit stronger. And making that trade for Tommy Pham, I think has made a big difference. So it's worked out and, uh, I just hope that he can contribute down the stretch and we'll see how much he does. Yeah, there's not much more to add on top of that. Uh, Tom Pham had a really, really big hit. It was almost as if he was due in in the bottom half of that 10th inning and, you know, had another hit in game two, but really, really did his his work in the series in game three. Um, Jason already mentioned he's playing for a contract. This is a guy who is is no kid he's what 34 i think 34 35 so he's playing for a contract for next year he's enjoying the the fact that he's got fans in the stadium people to support him and maybe this is just what he needed you know maybe this is just the support system that would be perfect to get him back into that old mindset this is a former 2020 guy he's done that twice he can steal if he wants to we haven't seen him do it so far but he's hitting 264 right now, which is the highest he's hit in three years. I, I don't think this is too far-fetched to say that maybe maybe this is a, a nice little kind of like steer, Steve Pierce opportunity. Maybe we just give him like an extension for one-year deal. Because if you can hit those clutch home runs, I'm, I'm okay with it. Tom Pham today was responsible for 83% of the Red Sox hits today. Tom Pham and Rafael Devers went 5 for 8. The rest of the team went 1 for 21. Tom Pham in the one hole is eons better than Jaron Duran in the one hole. He's not striking out every at bat. Yes, he did strike out quite a bit in games one and game two, but surprise, surprise, we only had four strikeouts today for the Red Sox, and half of them were, came from Haas, one from JD and one from Christian Arroyo. It's not good when two of the guys get all the hits, but if two guys are doing all the damage and your pitching's doing what they're doing and you can win a game, that doesn't say so much about you so much as it's saying something about the team you're facing. So I'm really content with what I've seen from Tom Pham. Uh, both of those acquisitions that we got, uh, him and Reese have have done a decent amount of work in their short time here for the Red Sox. And uh, if Tom Pham were to come back in 2023, I will be the first one and probably not the last one to say I'm not going to hate it. There are so many other worse options out there. He's got a lot of off the field baggage, which I'm not crazy about. I'm probably one of the bigger character guys on this crew. You know, I, I do put a lot of stock into that, but 
He is kind of winning me over. He his post game interview in game one, he just he sounded like a very good teammate that was just happy to contribute in a big moment. Um, real quick, I'm trying to figure out how these roster moves are going to work because we're going to get we're going to get Kike Hernandez and Rob Refsnyder back on Tuesday. So you're Jalen Davis. That's a given. You're losing him. He'll get optioned. It looks like Jaron Duran could be the other guy, but someone was. Oh, actually, Yolmer's. Actually, I don't know if Yolmer's probably not on the uh, 26 man. So that's probably what I'm getting mixed up with. Um, but someone did tweet at us that Cora may have said that. Duran would still stay with the club. I don't I don't see how it's going to happen though. Um based on the outfield right now. I mean, you're not I don't think you can do anything with Arroyo. You're not going to mess with that cuz you you need him for second base. Um and then you, all you got left is Verdugo and Fam and those guys aren't going anywhere to make room for the other two. So, we'll see. But here's one question for you guys before we do move on. When Kike comes back, does he just get his leadoff rollback? Does he take that from Fam and then Fam goes down towards the five or six hole? I I hope not. I actually hope that when Kike comes back, they do what they should do and they ease him in. They don't put him in the leadoff spot right away. This guy's Mitch. He's missed too much time. Like he's missed a lot of live pitching. Like Tommy Fam has proven he can hit leadoff. It's okay. Like. He does strike out a little bit too much for what you'd want out of a leadoff hitter, but no, Kike, he's missed so much time. You got to let him ease him back in. Don't put him in leadoff spot right away. That's too much pressure to put on him. So I hope they drop him later in the lineup and keep Fam where he is. Charlie. I don't think you should break this. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. If Tom Pham is getting work done in the one slot, why play with it? And if there's a day off and maybe you need to give Tom Pham a day off to put Kike in there, I'm okay with that. I could justify that. But if Tom Pham has done a decent job so far in that one slot, he's scoring runs. He's knocking people in. He's getting clutch hits that are winning games. And he's not injured. So why mess with it? I do not think that putting Kike Hernandez back in the one hole is going to all of a sudden make the, the Red Sox a juggernaut up on point. It's just not going to happen. And I think that being diplomatic, if you don't put him as high in the lineup and you put him lower, he's not going to be running as much because he won't be hitting as much. So it's something else to be conscientious about. This is a player that has injury problems, is coming back from a major injury. I think we need to be smart. Let the guys that are healthy hit more frequently, let Kike Hernandez maybe spell Tom Pham once in a while. But I think the the time of Kike Hernandez in the one slot on a consistent basis, those are done. It's just going to be interesting. Well, first of all, I agree with you guys. I wouldn't mess with the mojo, but I, I feel like Alex Cora might mess with the mojo because he just seems to like to do that type of stuff. But so you keep Pham and you got Pham, Devers, Bogarts. It seems like, they like Verdugo right now in the four slot. He's been getting a lot of time there, and Martinez is in the fifth slot. Then you've got Eric Hosmer coming in 
after Martinez. And the thing about Hosmer is he's quietly been getting away with it, but he's four for 26, not really doing a ton at the plate. So perhaps that's where Kike goes in is right around six, probably no further than seventh. Um, but it's going to be a much different looking lineup here, uh, one way or the other, um, going up. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the number two spot. We're almost to the top. Uh, let's see. Charlie's got that spot. Who is it? Yeah. So our number two slot is going to be Michael Waka throwing two hits over seven innings, allowing a walk and striking out a season high nine batters with 66% of his pitches going for strikes through 89 pitches, 59 of those for strikes. This was an incredible performance by Michael Waka. A, you know, Justin Masterson, a masterful performance here. A little joke there. I'm super content to see that because for his first start in six weeks, I didn't have any expectations. I was hoping to get maybe four or five innings out of him. Hopefully we don't allow more than two to three runs. Guy comes out and throws his best performance since his three hitter in LA. And, and that was a ridiculous performance for him. At one point, we saw Zieri dip to 1.99 again. So the fact that he's doing this, am I going to say he's back? No. I hate when people do that after one good game. I refuse. It infuriates me. It's frustrating. It tells me that you're not really paying attention. You don't really know what you're talking about. But Michael Walker right now, this is one of the fan clubs that Job is running for a little while, wasn't doing so hot, had kind of an ugly June, did not pitch all of July. Been two weeks and absolutely dominated the Yankees. What else do you want to know? The Red Sox and Yankees finished this game in two hours and 15 minutes. I really didn't know what the hell I was supposed to do for the last hour and 15 minutes of my expected time watching this game. I don't remember the last time that the Red Sox and Yankees played a game under two and a half hours, let alone two hours, 15 minutes. It was an incredible pitching performance by him. He absolutely dominated. Uh, honestly, I think he got frustrated. He probably would have had no hits through the first, I think it was the fifth inning when the umpire at home did not give him a call. It was strike three. The following pitch was, uh, I think it was a ground out. That was two outs. And then Miguel Andujar lined one into left field. And I think it was kind of a little bit of frustration because that was a pitch that Michael Waka should have gotten. And he didn't get it. And he, I think it might have been a little bit in his head. Not 100% sure that was the case. Maybe a little bit. But I still think that Michael Walker did a great job. I'm incredibly impressed with that performance, and especially since it was against the Yankees. And for the first time this year, we won a series, a legitimate one in the AL East. So I'm damn impressed. Yeah, honestly, it's just a bummer that Michael Walker got hurt for an entire month. Can you imagine the difference he would have made if he was healthy and still in the rotation? And yeah, he's not always going to deliver a performance like he did tonight, but... He's seven and one, seven and one with an ERA under three, an ERA under two point five. Quite frankly, like you know, we we've talked in our group chat about James Paxton and how he's signed for next year. If if we want him, um, I wish Michael Walker was signed for next year. He's going to be a free agent, and his price tag is going up. And the scary thing is, I don't think that he's going to sign here next year. I think he's going to go get another contract somewhere else. So enjoy the Michael Walker performances while you can. But yeah, it was, it was a joy. Like one of the quickest games of the year this year, he was efficient. He was just doing his thing. And, you know, his rehab starts are going pretty well. He was part of that combined no hitter in Worcester. So 
you knew that he had kind of bounced back from the dead arm or whatever else he was dealing with. That was good to see, but it's just a shame that he was on the shelf for as long as he was because if he was pitching like this every five days through the month of July, maybe July wouldn't have been so god-awful for the Red Sox as it was. He, he may have been able to help just a little bit. Um, but again, that's Michael Walker. He hasn't been healthy for a long time. So it, it's nice to see him back. I'm glad he's back. He pitched great. Um, but this is the reality. You know, you sign this guy to a one-year deal. He's had injury problems in the past. He's probably not going to re-sign here because if his second half is as good or close to as good as it was tonight, then forget about it. He, you know, his price tag is going to go way too high. And we all know what High and Bloom's going to do. He's not going to sign him. He's going to let him walk. So um, it was it, – but, you know, that's all for the future as far as this weekend went. Huge performance for him. You know, he won the series for you, pitched great. And if this team has any hope of capturing one of those wild card spots, Michael Walker is going to be a big part of it because honestly, he's probably been your most consistent starter the whole year, at least when he's been healthy. I mean, sure, like, you know, Pavetta has been healthy all year, but Pavetta hasn't been consistent. If Aldi's been hurt, everyone else has been hurt. Rich Hill has gone downhill. So Michael Walker has been your most consistent starter. So if this team wants to make the playoffs, if they want to capture one of those wildcard spots, you need more spots, more starts like he did tonight because he was awesome and he's going to be big going forward. Two firsts tonight with Michael Walker. It was his first start against the Yankees, and this was the the game I felt the best about. I liked this matchup um, the best of the three. He was dominant in his first rehab start. I think he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning of that first spot, or he was scoreless. Either way, he was dominant. Didn't look bad uh, in the second game, so... I just kind of felt like he was going to ride some of that momentum in tonight. And then when I saw the Yankees lineup, I I felt even better about it uh, tonight. The other first, he's not struck out more than seven batters until tonight, which he struck out nine. So by far his, his best strikeout game. If he was a little more stretched out, a little more conditioned, maybe maybe you get an eighth inning out of him. I don't know. But he's been great. And as far as him getting a big deal, it's I'd be a little skeptical about that because of his injury history. He's basically on the same trajectory as 2021. He got he got injured, came back with about six weeks left. That's when he discovered the changeup went on a really nice run, and that's what led to Bloom signing him. But only 124 innings in uh, 2021, uh, only 34 the year before, but that was the COVID year. 126 innings in 2019 with the Cardinals, only 84 innings in 2018, 165 in 2017. So... Not a guy that you can necessarily count on for six full months. If he's a stud here and then 
by the grace of God we get into that postseason and he has some heroics, then will he get a big deal? Yeah, maybe. And and then it certainly won't be from us, but um, we'll take what we can get and we want to be relevant and we want to contend. So you need Michael Walker going every five days if, if that's going to happen. Any more thoughts on Walker? No, honestly, I, I just kind of hope you're right. I mean, if other teams don't give him a big contract and they're leery of that, then maybe it gives the Red Sox a better chance of bringing him back on a shorter deal, shorter money. Because honestly, given the way your pitching pipeline looks, you might need that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Bayo steps up and maybe Crawford continues to emerge and, and then you get a little bit of depth there. But, I mean, would Bloom sign him for two or three years? Maybe, especially if if Waka, you know, feels about Boston the way Evaldi did before signing his last contract with us. So we'll see. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate a two or three year deal necessarily. Well, all right. Uh, who's left in the number one spot? Yeah. Number one, the former Yankee himself, Garrett Whitlock. Um, awesome. Just was great this weekend. Pitched twice, uh, closed out both your wins for you. Pitched a combined three innings, five Ks. Didn't give up a run. Uh, he was dynamite. And it's just awesome to see him back in the role that he belongs in, in, in that sort of closed down role, whether it's a one inning performance or two innings like he did in the first game of the series. Um, he's such a weapon out of the back end of that bullpen. And I hate to do it, but like I go back to when they put him in the rotation for that Toronto series. You know, because Tanner Houck had to miss the series because he was unvaccinated. And they took him out of the bullpen, they put him in the rotation, and they left him there. And he was okay as a starter. He wasn't great. Then he ended up getting hurt. So you were without him for a couple weeks, almost a month, I think. And it just crushed his team. And again, it's just, I, I look at that as another questionable decision by management of the Red Sox, whether it was Bloom or it was Bloom and Cora combined, I don't know. Um, but look at what this guy does out of the bullpen. Why would you ever take him out of that role? And I get it. They sign him to a unique contract, and maybe they're trying to get the most bang for their buck by converting him into a starter, knowing that they've got him under contract now, but he's such dynamite out of the back end of that bullpen, and he proved it this weekend. So Again, he's a found asset, rule five guy. Like that's found money. You don't have to, you don't have to juice the orange when it comes to that. Just be happy with what you got. He's a good closer. He's a great closer, actually. His his bullpen numbers are so different compared to his starting pitching numbers. Like it's ridiculous. So he proved it again this weekend. He should have always been in the bullpen. They never should have moved him from there. And I'm glad that he's there now. I, I do worry about what they'll do with him in the future, especially now, like I said, now they've got him under contract. I, I worry that they're going to try and shoehorn him into the starting rotation next year. But at least for this year, for 2022, he's going to be a great back end of your bullpen guy. And like we said, 
We want this team to contend. We want this team to be relevant down the stretch, going for one of those wild card spots. And in some of these close games, particularly if your offense is going to be struggling and a little bit anemic, like it has been, you're going to be playing in a lot of close games. You're going to need Garrett Whitlock to close it down at the end. And he's proven that he can still do that. So it's been awesome to see. Um, personally, I would like to see him stay there, but I know long-term plans may be different, but at least for this year, your back end of your bullpen is pretty solid. He, he's been great. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. I remember being really kind of annoyed and upset with the fact that they took him into the uh, rotation. I didn't feel like that was very fair to him since they had just signed him as a reliever to to be one of the guys, not uh, you know always the main one, but one of the most important pieces in that bullpen. And to put him in the starting rotation felt cheap of Haim Bloom. I know it was a quick fix, but it shouldn't have been for as long as it was. Garrett Whitlock is a true professional and isn't going to complain about it. He's going to get in there and get his job done. But let's be honest here. Against your former team, three innings, one walk, five strikeouts, 70% of your pitch is going for strikes. If that's not raising the middle finger to your former team, I really don't know what is. But this is one of the best closers in the game, someone that can give you two-plus innings on a consistent basis. You cannot go wrong with him right now. And taking him out of the bullpen to put him into the rotation was an attempt to try to make it look like the Titanic wasn't sinking when it was destined for failure. This is one of the most important parts of the bullpen. That should have been a telltale sign to get another starter in Boston, not replace a starter with one of your guys who is incredibly valuable, invaluable to this bullpen. And you remove that, plug that you had we were one starter away from being dominant and then of course everyone wants to say oh but we're waiting for Paxson we're waiting for this guy and that I'm done with that I'm really done waiting for that this was a mistake high and blue made a mistake by taking him out of the the bullpen this guy can do no wrong in my eyes if Garrett Whitlock is there I'm able to go to sleep at night if he makes one blip I'm not going to get on him for that you can't because this guy pitches two innings more often than he pitches one. And there have been times where he's only getting one, maybe two days of rest in between, and he's going out and give you another two innings. There is no closer in baseball that pitches two innings every appearance. He is invaluable, and a case can be made that he's the most valuable closer in baseball because he can really go out and give you the eighth and ninth shutdown innings. That's it. He only pitched one inning tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, one inning in the finale. And when he got activated on July 15th, my birthday, by the way, um, he's only pitched in in all but two of those. It's been like Charlie says, it's been two innings or more. He does have uh, one in there that's two and two-thirds innings. So, He's basically being utilized right now like the Milwaukee Brewers were utilizing Josh Hader, who very commonly would would come out for multiple innings. So 
is he going to be as dominant as Hader? No, probably not. But could he be the next best thing? Possibly. And I think it remains to be seen. I, I think the last six weeks of this season will have a lot to say about what his role will be in 2023. I know Bloom has said in the last few weeks, or perhaps it was Cora, that they do expect Whitlock to be a starter next year. So, but like I said, I, I think I think these next couple of uh, well, month and a half will basically. Uh, you know, tell the story on on what his role will be going forward. But it's certainly nice to see him step up in these big games. It just seems like in the past, not so much this series, but in other series against, you know, big teams, he's had some nervous moments. Like, and even coming off of a great series, I'm still not sold that he does have the temperament to handle high pressure. Like there, or at least not like day in and day out. Like he's not coming in with a possessed look on his face, like Jonathan Papelbon, you know. But it's nice to see him get these big wins, and I, I hope he piles them up and evolves into that guy who is essentially fearless. Yeah, you know, I think Tanner Houck is fearless. It's just whether or not he's locating. That's always the thing with him, and he's certainly been nails anyway the last couple of months before going on the IL. So um, love to see Whitlock, but he shut down both games that we won and uh, sealed the win. So certainly deserving of the number one spot on this weekend's uh, weekend top five. So I am pulling up the uh, pitching matchups right now. I know we definitely, at least as far as the Red Sox go, have them. All right, so... Uh, oh, Monday's an off day. All right. That means I, I can actually mow my lawn tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so we've got Nick Pavetta, who is starting to, you know, kind of get back into form. He's going to be pitching against uh, Pirates pitcher Mitch Keller, who, shocker, I'm not familiar with. I don't uh, watch many Pirates games, but. His last three actually looked pretty good. August 10th, five and one-thirds innings against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gave up three earned runs, struck out three. Start before that against the Baltimore Orioles. Six innings pitched. Uh, only gave up one earned run. Only struck out one. Gave up eight hits, but only one earned run. Uh, and then finally, uh, three starts ago against the Philadelphia Phillies. Again, six innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, struck out three. So I hate to say it, but sounds like a guy who could possibly give our lineup fits. But uh, Jason, how do you see that one going? Yeah, I'm actually going to take the Red Sox in this one. I, I think Pavetta uh, will do his job. And I'm not a big Mitch Keller guy. I think that he's very inconsistent. He's got good stuff, but he's just never put it all together. He's a guy that Pittsburgh is relying on to finally strike gold, sort of, because he's young. He's 25, and you know they're just desperately looking for any pitching prospects to really shine through. But he's been too inconsistent. I think the Red Sox will get to him. The one thing I will say as a side note, um, I'm hoping – in a sick way for a big Michael Chavis revenge weekend. Cause I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, 
I'm still pissed about that trade. He's had a decent year in Pittsburgh. I hope he has a bomb every game. He might hit one in this game because Pavetta's prone to give him up. But that being said, I still will take the Red Sox in game one. I think Pavetta will do his job and they'll beat Mitch Keller. God, Jason, I'm so sick of hearing you going on and on about Michael Chavis like he's some superstar. Come on, man. You know we should have kept Dahlbeck over him. No, I'm I'm actually kind of secretly hoping to get like a little a little bit of uh, love coming from him. It's it'd be nice to see him come back to Boston for this series. Unfortunately, they're going to be playing in Pittsburgh. I also like Jason have the Red Sox winning. I think Pavetta's a, a a better pitcher than than Mitch Keller, even though Pavetta has struggled immensely. Uh, the last two starts, he's been much more calm and consistent, allowing just three runs in five and three runs in six innings. In the month of July, he was all over the place. But in the month of June, he was fantastic. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see that kind of level of consistency. I think Mitch Keller is okay. I don't think that Mitch Keller is great. The difference is that Mitch Keller plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they don't get run support. Uh, not to say that the Red Sox are going to get uh, Nick Pavetta a boatload of run support. I think the Red Sox, with their offense currently, I think they have a little bit of an edge there too, and I still think Pavetta's a better pitcher. So Red Sox will win game one. I'm also going to go with the Red Sox. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of a low-scoring game, but I have to. I just have to go with the Red Sox. I can't. There's there's no reason for me to to pick against them in Game One. I just hope Pavetta is locating and not allowing a lot of traffic on the bases, and hopefully some of these guys that have been quiet, you know, Hosmer. And um, who knows? Pulecki is catching more games than he should be, in my opinion. I think McGuire should be in there a little bit more. But hopefully they wake up. And hopefully Martinez kind of gets things going. Uh, he only really had one good game in the Yankees series. So if Hosmer and Martinez are cranking, I, I think the, the rest of the guys will do their job. But put me down for the Red Sox in uh, game one. Uh, let's see. I keep losing my spot. Game two is Rich Hill versus TBD. Um, let me switch over to the Yankees side. Do you have it, Charlie? Yeah, so I got oh. Rich Hill going up against uh, JT Brubaker. Uh, this is the one that I unfortunately don't have the Red Sox winning. I just don't know if Hill is going to be able to outlast Brubaker. I think that Brubaker also has been just really, really unlucky. This is someone who, in the month of June, six innings, no runs allowed, picked up the win, did great. That's one of two wins this season for him. He's not getting any run support, and he's not doing himself many favors, but in games that he allows two or three runs, he's getting losses. Three runs, loss. Two runs, no decision. No runs, no decision. Three runs, loss. Three runs, no decision. Uh, two earned, three earned, loss, loss. Two earned, two earned, loss, loss. This is just someone who's not getting run support. He's not pitching poorly. He's a better pitcher than Rich Hill. His whip isn't pretty. I think the addition of O'Neill Cruz has made this team at least a little bit more relevant I think that the fact that Michael Chavis is a former Red Sox, he's going to have a little bit of scouting on some of these players, is going to give them a little bit of an edge. And if there's one game that they win, 
I think it's game two. So Pittsburgh wins this one, and we're tied after two. Yeah, I agree with Charlie. Um, like he said, JT Brubaker has been, much like every other Pirates pitcher, has been the victim of uh, lack of run support. There's no better solution to that than having to face Rich Hill. So um, regardless of what the lineup is going to be for Pittsburgh, Rich Hill is quickly just going completely backwards, and he looks completely cooked. Like, he looks like he has nothing left. And it's not surprising. I mean, you know, at some point it's going to catch up with him, but he looks like he's got nothing. And I know that, you know, they've got Winkowski to sort of back him up and be the swingman for him. You guys know my thoughts on Winkowski. I think he's ballless. I don't think he's that good. Um, so I think the Red Sox could be already down by a couple runs, and Winkowski will come in and just make it worse. Um, and I, I don't think JT Brubaker is anything special. He's a, you know, sinker ball pitcher. He gives up a ton of hits. He doesn't really strike many guys out. But, again, this Red Sox offense has been so inconsistent, and unless it's Rafi Devers setting the pace – they're not going to score more than two or three runs. So I think Pittsburgh is going to, you know, jump on Rich Hill. They'll then jump on Ballas Winkowski after that. And I see them losing this game. So Jason, you brought up a really, a really important point in your topic there. When you were talking, you, you said that Rich Hill doesn't have anything left. If Rich Hill gets lit up and tuned by the Pittsburgh Pirates, is it safe to say that this will be his last Red Sox start and perhaps last career start because let's be honest 42 years old going to be 43 you're not really telling anybody that you're going to be a starter for very long time after this I think if he gets tuned in this game this will be the last Rich Hill start we see and if he doesn't uh have a home after this Zeri is almost five it's 4.75 there's a chance that maybe he gets relegated possibly released I don't know but I think, at least in my opinion, if he gets tuned here, it'll be sad to see it. I think he might be gone. He might be, def I mean, definitely out of the rotation, but uh, bullpen would be the only spot that I could see him coming in in. Well, he shouldn't get lit up because Alex Cora has already said that Josh Winkowski is going to piggyback off of him, so... Hopefully, it'll just be a quick hook if he gets into trouble and he doesn't face three or four batters too many. But if you can get three or four innings out of him of one-run ball, I think you take that in a start like this. But who's to say Winkowski doesn't get lit up when he comes in either? So um, it's not like it's a super comfortable situation. Winkowski has been, been pitching pretty well. It's just the, the strikeouts haven't quite been there. And you, you'd like to see, you know, a guy like him put guys away a little, uh, more often than he does. So, um, I'll also take the pirates in, in game two. Charlie, since you have them up, go ahead. What's uh, the series finale on Thursday look like? Series finale is going to feature Nate Evaldi. It's going to face Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson, also the victim of poor run support, but still not better than Nate Evaldi, as wild as Nate Evaldi has been recently. I still would find it incredibly difficult to pick against Evaldi against a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think the Red Sox are able to pull out game three. 
take the series, and that'll be that. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Red Sox. I'm, I'm going to take them in this one. Um, Bryce Wilson is not very good. Um, he's really struggled since going to the Pirates. And, you know, he was a guy that uh, that they they acquired from, from the Braves. He was a Braves system pitcher for a while. He's really struggled to get out of the minor leagues into the majors, and you can kind of see why. His major league numbers are not that good. I think Evaldi will do his job. So Ivaldi has been decent. Not he hasn't looked great since coming back, but he's looked decent enough. He should be able to shut down the Pittsburgh lineup. And again, I I don't think Bryce Wilson is anything special. So as bad as the Red Sox offense has been, they should be able to tag him for at least four or five runs. And Ivaldi can keep you in it, and you can hold it down from there. So I'll take the Red Sox in the series finale. I'll also take the Red Sox. Uh, I'm still concerned about Evaldi, but I, I don't think a team like the Pirates is really one to be concerned about. You know, they haven't really seen him. They're not going to see him again anytime soon after this um, start. You're getting Kike back, like we said. Perhaps Ref Snyder gets a, a game in there, although I'm not sure you can really take the bat out of uh, Fam or for Dugo's hands, but, uh, you, you got some depth and, um, well, you could start him at first. Couldn't you If Hosmer? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I'm just ADD big time ADHD probably, but, um, could, do you think Dahlbeck could get optioned in favor of ref Snyder? I don't know. Maybe you keep Duran. Yeah. Dahlbeck could, I, I still think that, Duran gets option because Ref Snyder can play the outfield. Yeah, no, I so know. You'd have a lot of outfield positions there. And I feel like, I don't know, they have a weird thing with Dahlbeck. They haven't optioned him all year. I don't see why they do it now. <laughs> it was just a twisted thought in my head that maybe maybe it could happen. I was just trying to, you know, come up with a reason. But uh, but anyway, so I, I, it looks like we got the Sox uh, winning this one two games to one. I will say the one series that haunts me recently is the the Kansas City series. We uh, lose three out of four of that one. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, in the back of my mind haunting me right now. But anyway, uh, we will wrap on that hot take Tuesday uh, will be released tomorrow. So. Be on the lookout for that. Everybody have a good start to your week. Take care.